This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Good morning, everybody. How is everybody doing? Good. I am. Uh, I am sorry that uh, that not everybody is going to be able to participate in giving a bag out, since the six hundred or however many bags they were are almost all gone. But uh, but yes, that's good news. Yeah, Amen. Yeah, you can you can celebrate that. Chris is going to come. And he's going to talk to us a little bit more. But I still want to talk a little bit about a challenge for all of us uh, this morning as we as we kind of talk a little bit about the rationale, why we do things like Servolution. But before I do that, uh, you, you might have noticed I've kind of a little bit of a limp going on, you know. There's a, there's a reason for that. I, uh, I had a board meeting on Thursday night. Now, that's not the reason why I had a limp, because I had a board meeting on Thursday night. I have a board member sitting back there looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> uh, at a board meeting on Thursday night, and this has happened to be our, our budget board meeting where we approve the budget for next year. So it's a, it's a little bit longer meeting and maybe a lot more very intense conversation going on around the table, you know. And, and so afterward, I, I, I wanted to, you know, I was uh, one of our board members, Jeff McCoy, uh, had brought something with him that we had talked about. He, has, he purchased one of these uh, new devices. They're called a one wheel. Anybody familiar with a one wheel? It's... You are now. Oh, you, well, you, that's right. You're familiar because you saw the Facebook post. Uh, if, if I had known what, that, what anyways. Uh, so, so we had been to this conference in, in, in Kansas, and uh, Jeff McCoy was with me, and Jairus was with me, and, and he was talking up this whole one-wheel thing, you know? And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? Maybe when you get it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it, you know? And, and he was like, yeah, it's great, whatever. He's just building it up. Well... Um, he bought one, and then he decided to bring it to our board meeting on Thursday night. So after this, you know, board meeting, which was a little, a little bit longer than usual uh, because of the, what we were doing, uh, decided I was going to just blow off some smoke a little bit, you know, just kind of get a little bit, you know, relaxed. And, and so we're going to um, try this, this one wheel, and it was actually pretty cool. I got on the first time, and I just kind of did, did a, was on there for like maybe 30 seconds, and I got off real quick, you know, just I'm balancing out. And then this is what happened right after I take a look. Yeah. Go as slow as you need to. How sweet is that? <laughs> hmm. When Josh sees us, he Oh, he's gonna be jealous. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Woo! <laughs> Hold that picture right there real quick. <laughs> You see what, what's going on right there? I don't know if you noticed, but my hand is down by my leg, like, ow. I was holding on to something there, and honestly, I got up after that, and I thought, ah, not a big deal. I've, I've, you know, I've twisted my ankle from time to time in places, not a big deal. But, uh, uh, and so, I didn't think anything of it. I posted on Facebook, showing off a little bit. This is what happens when you show off, by the way, just so you know. 
showing off a little bit that I could ride this, this little device. Um, the next day, I couldn't walk. <laughs> I had a boot on all day yesterday, you know, it was just hilarious. And my wife was like, what? she was like, my, my, she's an ER nurse, so she's like totally mad at me for getting on it. Um, I secretly already sent Jeff, I sent him a text. It was something funny about yesterday. So I said, I had this boot on my, on my foot. So I took a picture of the boot and I sent it to Jeff McCoy who let me use his little contraption. And uh, he's like, oh no, what happened? I said, I think I just might have, you know, pulled a muscle or something, I don't know. And so then he, he sends me another picture of him sitting at a spa or at a, some, where you do your pedicure, you know, manicure. So with his, hand, with his feet in the water, took a picture of his feet in the water getting a pedicure. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I'm not sure, are you like rubbing it in? Or did you, are you telling me that you lost your man card and your wife and daughter made you go to this pedigree? I don't know what you're trying to say here right now, you know, but he said both. He was rubbing it in and he lost his man card. All right, all right, that's enough. Today is a, it's a pretty awesome day. You know, we, we have been doing Servolution for 10 years and it is, it's just something that we do that it's a part of our DNA, it's who we are, and uh, it's not all that we are. There are many things that we are as a church, but it's one of the significant ways in which we, we have a connection with our community. And uh, so today, you know, over 600 bags are going to get delivered with no strings attached to our community. People in our community, we're just going to love on them. We're going to let them know that, that we are here, and we are here with a message about Jesus Christ, and that's, that's essentially what it's, what it's about. Now, we use the word servolution. The idea of servolution comes from two words, revolution, that's the one word, and the other word is service. And so, in, in fact, what servolution is, is a revolution of service, that we, are, that we firmly believe that we're about turning things upside down to how this world understands, you know, the, the way we live out our lives in this world. Because the way we live out our lives in this world is oftentimes all about me. It's about my advancement. It's about my succeeding. It's about me becoming rich. It's about me having what I want. Sometimes it even means stepping on somebody else to get to what I want. That's what this world preaches. And Servolution says, no, we're going to turn that upside down. We're going to give ourselves away for other people. And that's really what it's about. So that's what we're going to talk. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, When I was uh, in Bible college, I had a professor by the name of Charles Greenaway that used to tell yeah, I mean, he just had these amazing stories of his career. He's, at that time, he was in his mid-70s. So in the early 80s, he was in his mid-70s, and he was a career missionary. So he, you know, he went to the mission field back in the 40s or whenever it was and, uh, and just lived a full missionary career life. But um, he told a story about a young, a young man by the name of Robert Carell. Robert Carell in the 30s was a, a 14-year-old boy who would come up to the altar in church on Sunday mornings when the pastor would invite people up and he would come to the altar and he'd put his hands on the altar like this and he would say, God, there are people who have given you their, their voice, their mouth, so that they can go and preach the gospel all over the world. He said, there are people who have given you their feet so that they can go wherever you call them to go. He said, but God, I want to give you my hands. Will you make me a surgeon? And if you make me a surgeon, I will use these hands to build your kingdom around the world. That was his prayer, 14 years old. And so he would pray this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, just committing himself to God, 
to, to, to use his hands however God wanted to use them. Years later, after he finished med school and his surgical training, he, um, he took a position in a hospital in, in, in the Northeast, and he practiced for two years here stateside, um, maybe, to, I don't know, maybe to accumulate some money to pay off debt. I don't know if they even had debt back then, but probably. But he worked for a couple of years, getting some experience as a surgeon, and then he kept, he kept his promise. He went to the port of Baltimore, boarded a ship with his wife and two little girls, and they head off to Africa as missionaries in Dakar, Senegal. Um, when he arrived in Dakar, Senegal, Charles Greenaway was his area director the, the, for Africa and the missions director, and so he received him at the port. And immediately, see, in conversation, he realized, this guy is sharp. This guy is, he's like top-tier kind of person, high-level marks in his school and all that. I mean, this, this guy was sharp. He could be doing anything he wanted in life. He could be practicing anywhere in the most prestigious of places here in America. But instead, he was disembarking from a ship there in Dakar, Senegal. He uh, started working in a little hospital there in Dakar, worked for two years in this hospital. He was learning the French language, also learning how to to do medicine the French way. And after a couple of years there, he came to Charles Greenaway and he said, "Uh, Dr. Greenaway, I... I feel like God's calling us to this interior part of Senegal because there's like 100,000 people over there that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I, I need to go there. And uh, Greenaway tried to convince him out of it because, I mean, this is a very far place. Six months out of the year, the Senegal River will flood the area, and there's no access back into Dakar, so it's remote. It gets cut off. And, uh, but he, but you know, his desire prevailed. So he ended up going over there. He set up a, a mobile clinic. He would travel up into the hills to just minister to people. He would sometimes, you know, we'd work with women who were, who had breached deliveries. Uh, sometimes there was like tribal conflicts that were happening, you know, and there would be like machete fights against each other. And he would suture wounds and he would cure wounds that people were, you know, that were, that, that people received. Uh, preventative medicine, all kinds of stuff he was doing. It was just a, he, he was giving his life away, even though he could be doing whatever he wanted to be doing here stateside. One day, uh, Greenaway received a phone call from the commandant of the French Foreign Legion that a terrible accident had happened and um, that, that Dr. Carell had been, there had been a fire and his body, almost 80% of his body had been burnt. He had been called in the middle of the night to go help a woman with her delivery. And so he went out to his truck to start it up and realized he didn't have any gas in his truck. So there was this big 55-gallon drum of gas. He put the, a hose down and he started siphoning gas out of it to put it into the truck. And in the process, got a mouthful of gas, spit it out, and they had this pressure lantern in front of him. And when he spit it out, he spit it onto this pressure lantern, and it exploded. And his body was, was burnt very badly including his hands that he had prayed years before, God, I give you my hands, I give you my hands. Eventually, he would end up in a hospital in Mali, fighting for his life, the country of Mali, fighting for his life, and eventually he would die. <clears throat> Dr. Green, I, I, I remember this story clearly. I, I've heard a lot of things in my life as, as a pastor and a student when I was in Bible school and then as a pastor and as a missionary 
many stories of God's amazing work and, and incredible sacrifices that people had, had sacrificed for the gospel. I've, I've heard many, many stories, but I remember this one very specifically for some reason. And I think it's because as I sat there watching Dr. Greenaway share this story in tears streaming down his cheeks, as he would say, I've buried way too many people in Africa. I, it, it, would, it moved me. It moved me. And so uh, uh, he was telling how after, after Dr. Carroll had, had passed away that he was uh, walking away from the hospital. And with him was this lieutenant colonel uh, from the For- French Foreign Legion that he said was a hardened, bitter, just a rough, rough, godless man. He said they were walking down the street lamenting what had happened to Dr. Carell, both asking themselves questions, why would something like this happen? And the lieutenant colonel grabbed Greenaway's arm and stopped him in the middle of the street, and tears began to come down his cheeks as he said, Dr. Greenaway, you know I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God at all, but if I ever find a God, I want it to be a God like the one that this young man was serving. We may look at the life of Dr. Robert Carell as a waste, a waste of talent, a waste of ability. We might shake our fists at heaven and say, God, why did you let this happen? I mean, imagine, God, what he could have accomplished if you just given him 15 more years or 20 more years to serve you. We could do that. But when our goal is the kingdom of God, Things like this can make sense. It's hard for us to understand. Dr. Greenaway shared with us his last words as he was in a hospital. He would die sometime after this. He said to Dr. Greenaway, he says, I came to Africa to give my life away. I'm going to introduce myself in this. I came here to give my life away. I came to Africa to give my life away. I didn't realize it would be so short. But I don't regret one single moment of it. When you spend your life for him and his kingdom, it's worth it. Even if it's short, it's worth it. We live in a day and age where the local church has been interpreted as as self-centered and out of touch, religious, legalistic, judgmental. Oftentimes we look at what is done, and believe me, I've heard that many, many times, but I guarantee you, if you'd walked into Life Church this morning with that mountain of red bags out there and the, and the energy in this place and the, and the people that are, whose lives are obviously God is moving and, and changing their lives, you wouldn't say that about what you experience here. But that is something that is, said, that is said. And every time I think about that, I say to myself, and I commit myself over and over again to this, this idea, that in a world that sometimes sees a church this way, life church is not going to be that. Life church is going to be a place that's life-giving. It's going to be a place where we're going to be focusing in on making the name of Jesus famous. That if we're going to be a church that's going to operate in this community, that's who we're going to be. That's who you are. And so I'm excited about who we are, and I'm excited to turn things upside down to join this revolution of service. How did Jesus, 
How did Jesus revolt? What was the revolution that he brought? I mean, the gospel, you read the gospels, it's easy to discover that Jesus himself was a revolutionary. I mean, he came and he just turned things upside down. Like sometimes even literally, like turned money changers tables upside down. But even in other ways too, he, he confronted the religious establishment. He confronted the external way of looking at faith to an internal heart way of looking at faith. He challenged things. He was a revolutionary, that's for sure. In John 13, I think we get a good picture of the nature of this revolution. Let me set the stage a little bit. Jesus, for, for three and a half years, had been doing ministry. He, he would preach, he would teach, he would tell parables, and people would hear this. And it tells us in the scriptures that, that multitudes were always flocking him. To hear the things that he had, he spoke, it says this, he spoke with such authority. In other words, he was speaking as if God is speaking to them. That's the kind of speaker that he was, teacher that he was, storyteller that he was. And people would hear this and they were in their mind negotiating this idea. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one that's going to come and set us free? Could this be the one that's going to finally establish God's kingdom and kick out the Roman Empire and finally have what God has always promised us? Could this be the one? So for three and a half years, this is happening. They believed he was the Messiah. And then he confirms the, their belief by the miracles that he would perform. Healing blind people. Lepers. He was bringing hope to hopeless people. People who were in emotional distress would walk away from an encounter with Jesus Christ lifted up. People who were basically falling away in sin would encounter Jesus Christ and their lives would be turned around and they would walk away with hope that, they actually, that God does love them. This is the Jesus that, that was walking this earth. I mean, Jesus had it going on. But after three and a half years, he knows that his real mission is about to happen, the cross. And so he calls his disciples together. He says, hey, guys, um, I want to spend some time with you. We're going to celebrate the Passover meal. And so they go up into this upper room, and they celebrate this Passover meal together. Look what it says in John 13 about this invitation from Jesus towards the end of his life. He's about to be crucified buried and then resurrected Uh, verse 3 says Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God now this passage is interesting to me because it says that Jesus knew that God had given him or put all things under his power in other words that he had all power all authority that at Jesus fingertips was anything he wanted he knew this it says that he had all power. Sometimes I think about this and I wonder, what is that like? The image I get is that of a king being um, coronated or, or, or crowned as king. A person who is, becomes king before he receives the crown, before he, before he or she, or a queen, before he or she uh, is, gets the crown, before that, they are just an ordinary citizen. Now, they have bloodlines and they have all kinds of reasons why they're going to get the crown. But before that, they are just citizens. Once they receive the crown, what's interesting is 
All power is theirs. With a nod of their head, they can send an army to war. With a snap of the fingers, they can, a life can be taken or a life can be saved. This is the power that they have, and I sometimes think about this. This is real power. And so this verse tells us that Jesus had that kind of power that could call legions of angels down, a power that could speak one word and bodies were being healed, a power that could take five loaves and two little fish, break them, and feed thousands of people. Thousands of people. That's the power that he had. I wonder what you would do with that power. I mean, how would you handle all power? Imagine that for a second. If you're single, you're not allowed to imagine. But if you're married, you can imagine. (laughs) I mean, would you use that power to exact revenge on somebody? Would you use that power to make yourself rich, to benefit your spouse and your children? Would you use that power and maybe next Sunday I see you drive up here in a brand new Italian-made supercar? (laughs) Or maybe it would be a little bit more nobler kind of idea. Maybe, Maybe you would have all that power and you would snap your fingers and cancer would be completely eradicated from the face of the earth. Or you would look at your hard-working, blue-collar parents and and buy them their dream house. All power. You see, our imagination can run wild with just just knowing that if we had that kind of power, it's kind of like those people who, who... like buy lottery, it's, I don't really do that, but those who do buy lottery and they, kind of, they, they dream of hitting the jackpot, you know, and how their minds can just run wild with, you know, what they will do if they win the, you know, the $400 million or whatever it is that they're going to win, you know, and, and then they cash it in, they got a dollar, you know, I don't know, but uh, <clears throat> what, would, what would you do? I don't know, but this is what Jesus did. Verse four, he has all power, says in verse 3, but now it says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You see, the custom of that, of that day was if you came to your home and you had been out walking in these dusty roads with sandals, that you would have a servant that would take your sandals and would wash your feet as you walked into the house. It was customary, too, that if you brought guests, their feet, too, would be washed. That was the custom, and it makes sense, right? Because it's, it's dirty out there. You, I guarantee you, you would not want, if you were sitting in close proximity to my feet, you would want them to be washed. Let's just put it that way, okay? And that's what's happening here. They're about to have a meal together, and their feet are going to be exposed. Their feet may even be touching each other. Jesus steps up and he dismisses the servant. He wraps a towel around himself and he starts washing the feet of his disciples. When I first read this, my first thought was, are you kidding me? I mean, just one verse ahead says you have all power. This seems inconsistent with all power that you would wash their feet. 
In fact, it would make more sense if the verse said something like this. So Jesus went, bought, and, went and got 12 more servants who would then wash the, all of the disciples' feet. That's not what happened. You see, Jesus is illustrating something here, something so revolutionary, so powerful that it has the potential to change nations. It has the potential to change the hardest of hearts. It has the potential to change a single mom's trajectory in life when she receives a bag of groceries from a total stranger who has prayed for that person, for that mom. See, Jesus exchanges power for service. We live in a world that's hungers for power. In fact, that's, that's the... That's the uh, that's the striving of this world. That's the striving of nations. That's the striving of politicians. That's the striving of, of organizations. That's the striving of business. We want more power. That's the currency of this world. Whether it's you know, power over nations, power with wealth, power in a husband-wife relationship. That's what we're looking for. We just want power. And Jesus came to turn that upside down. He did. My wife, Christy, she's... She's a champion for people who are, you know, overlooked and marginalized sometimes. And when, when she sees people like that, she just, you know, she, she, she wants to help them. She wants to make sure that, that there's a pathway for them towards God. And, and she's always told me that she's always used this language. She always says, power should always serve weakness. Generally, it's because, generally she tells me that when I'm, I'm saying, I don't have time. <laughs> it's like, okay, you have power. They're weak. You need to make time, you know. Power should always serve weak. This is how Matthew, how Jesus says it in Matthew 23, 11. He says, the greatest among you, all of us want to be great. I know you don't want to, you won't raise your hand to that. You're not going to say, I want to be great. But all of us, deep inside, we want to do well at the things that we're striving for. We want to be great in those things. And so Jesus here says, the greatest among you, those of you who really want to be great, you're going to be the servant of all. That's how we discover greatness. See, Christianity is about this great exchange from power to service. He exchanged his life for mine. I don't know where I would be right now if 37 years ago that transaction had not happened. If 37 years ago I had heard an invitation, I said, nah, I don't want to go there. I really don't know where I would be. Some of you in this room, you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be in prison. <laughs> Others, you know, I'd be divorced. I'd be completely lost. I would be sick. I'd be lonely. I mean, all of us can understand what it's like, what what we have experienced when we've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of that, that relationship that we have experienced is this great exchange where Jesus gave his life for our life. And what's so powerful about this is that he doesn't just do that and that's it. He invites us into that same revolution. Look what it says in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So after service today, we're going to have everybody take their shoes off, and we're going to wash each other's feet. Well, I'm going to let you wash my feet. I'm not touching your feet, but uh, just kidding. <laughs> I think Jesus here is talking about this exchange of power to service. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. See, the world that we live in is consistently calling us to serve ourselves, to make ourselves number one. 
It's all about me. And Jesus says, no, 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 there's, a, there's another way. We need to turn this thing upside down. And as we exchange power for service, here's what happened. We discover that this world that we live in, this empty shell of a world that we live in means nothing, that there's so much more significance that can be found in Christ when we give our lives away, much like Dr. Carell did back in the 50s. And so Servolutions is evidence of this. In fact, when I think about when I walk in, I see those bags, and I see people who write the checks for Servolution. I just, I'm overwhelmed. Because in an economy like ours and where many families are struggling, just trying to, you know, make things work for their families, how generous you have become. It's because you've caught on to this. You've caught on to this revolution, this great exchange that God has done for us. And now he's calling us to do for others as well. It's a revolution of service. And he invites us into it. Today, you and I have an opportunity to do exactly the same thing. Now, the bags are mostly gone. But here's what I want to challenge you on. In fact, the challenge here this morning is not to come up and pray. You can, can't, I, I invite you to come up and pray if you need prayer for some other things. But you don't have to pray to ask God the question, should I be a servant? That's not, you don't, that's, and in fact, I think that's an invalid prayer. Because God might just hit you over the head with a two by four and say, of course. You know? The invitation isn't to pray whether we should serve others. The invitation for all of us here this morning is that we go and serve others. And so we have an opportunity of doing that with these bags that might be delivered. There's very few of them. But we also, you also have an opportunity to do it this week as you think about people in your, in your network, people that you know. I'm certain that there are people that you know that are saying, man, I'm really, this, is, this is difficult times for us. Maybe you have an opportunity to do something financially for them, or you have an opportunity to give up your time for them. And you see this connection. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Notice a connection. You're not just doing it to be a nice person. That's not the reason. You're doing it because Jesus said, just as I have done it, now I'm asking you to do it, to involve yourself in this revolution of service, to give your life away for others. And when you do that, you're inviting God into your life in such a powerful way. The greatest among you will be the servant of all.